Hello, and my name is Peter Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we're here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, frank and raw conversations. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Darren Newman. Darren has founded Low Carbon Truck Consultancy recently, and he's joining me today to talk about low carbon in uh, transport and what the future looks like. It's a great episode, and I'm really pleased to have him with me. So tune in, hope you enjoy it, and catch you soon. I'm with Darren Newman today. Darren and I are old ex-work colleagues back in the day when we used to work for Volvo together. Um, yeah, I'm buzzing to have you on here since you've uh, launched your new business. So, Darren, are you able to just introduce yourself for people who uh, are listening and, uh, and and let them know who you are and what you do and obviously a bit of background around how, how we met each other as well? Uh, yeah, Darren Newman, as Peter Riley says, um, I've recently um, started my own business, Low Carbon Truck Consultancy. Um, the point of that business is to try and help um, predominantly the smaller operators who don't have sustainability managers and don't necessarily have the staff, the time, the resource to go to all the clean air shows and throw um, in the city and get involved in all the forums and discussions on alternative fuels. Um, and I'm finding it hard to, to negotiate the landscape of all the different options which are available. So I set that up uh, back in the last year. Did um, been doing some work for some of the gas companies in terms of um, providing them with uh, some strategy and insight into some of the market and done a bit of training with them. Um, just starting to pick up a few customers this year, helping them with um, their sort of decarbonisation plans. Um, so I yeah I really started the business um, left Volvo in September last year having spent the previous three years um, selling alternative fuels for Volvo predominantly the LNG product which um, we launched about three years ago now so um, spent a lot of time doing vehicle trials talking to customers understanding what their requirements were seeing where the vehicle fitted uh, monitoring the fuel monitoring their carbon. Um, making sure operationally some of the constraints weren't uh, a big problem to the service levels and business. Um, but yeah, I've been in the truck business uh, all of my life. I've worked for Mercedes, I've worked for Renault, I've worked for Volvo. Um, I've been in marketing, I've been an engineer, I've been a product manager, I've been a sales manager, finance manager. I was doing regional sales when um, when we first met. I think you were a dealer point manager at Peterborough, that's probably right, isn't it? That's right, um, yeah, we're going back a little way there. <laughs> and I was coming in to see, um, coming in to see Alan, and um, yeah, at that, at that point it was, um, you know, you were taking quite an interest in sales, which was quite unusual for a dealer point manager, um, and probably you had something in the back of your mind at that point where you wanted to go, but uh, six months later I think you joined the sales team, didn't you? Yeah, that's um, right. I think uh, I, I think uh, the the sales side of the business was always the sexy side of the business, right? Like salesmen used to swan in and out when they were, <laughs> I, I hope a few of them are listening to this. Actually, you swan <laughs> in and out when they felt like it. They weren't tied to the desk. 
tied to their mobiles, but not tied to their No, it, 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 it can seem like a glamorous job from the outside, can't it? Can, it? Can, but you, it's definitely uh, not. Until <laughs> you get assigned a laptop and a phone and a car and you're sent out to uh, go, and go and make some money for the company and um, you know, go and spread the word. Um, but we spent a lot of nights driving around Lincoln and uh, a lot of days rather, uh, driving around Lincolnshire and um, East Anglia didn't really looking for looking for business and chewing yeah, the fat. Definitely. So, uh, definitely, definitely, yeah. So I thought um, I, I really enjoyed joining the sales team. Actually, it was um, I, I, it for for me from a developmental point of view. I think I'd always worked I'd always worked in like an after sales environment, whether it be running workshops or running the body shop before I went to work for Volvo. And uh, yeah, so there's something about sales. I, I felt like I'd never really been a salesperson or had any sales training or had any sales development. And um, yeah, I think the opportunity to go and give it give it a go and realise that actually there's no magic to selling other than just building relationships with people. Well, particularly in the transport sector. I don't know about other industries, but transport sector, it's all about those relationships, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, the, 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 there's no place for, you know, these these. Um people that can sell snow to the Eskimos, you know, the, the transport market is a very savvy um, industry and, you know, there's no, um, there's nothing short of, of honesty that's going to get you through the door and, um, you know, and, and get your customers coming back. And, and, you know, there's a lot of simple things in sales, doing what you say you're going to do, um, you know, under-promising, over-delivering. Um, well, it's it's yeah, you're out there on your own, really, aren't you? Sort of, you know, yeah. having to think on your feet and uh, you know, present your company and your business in the best light, and uh, make sure you understand where the customer's coming from and what his needs are. But it's yeah, uh, definitely, yeah. and I'm not going to labour this point too much because it's important to be positive and sort of move forward. But I, I think we'll, we'll have uh, shared had a shared challenge, and that is that, and people will realise that if they end up going self-employed, having worked for a big blue chip company like volvo so um when i used to work in sales for volvo it was just like doors would open and they would open and i thought it might be because of me maybe i was just arrogant but obviously it wasn't it was because i was working for volvo right so as soon as you go knocking on the door it's like oh yeah i work for volvo and it was like fine and you come have a cup of tea have a cup of coffee and everyone feels nice and warm and fuzzy because the volvo guys come to see them but as soon as you sort of start out on your own business everyone's like who never yeah. heard of you what's that all about and um, it could be quite hard to sort of establish it yourself. Have you sort of found that yourself, Darren, a little bit uh, as you sort of go starting the business? Absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing you have to remember when you're working for a brand and, and, and as a sales person, you know, you're almost a one-man department in some ways. But what you what you can never forget is the strength of that brand, which is behind you. And, and that's what it is that, you know, attached to your um, email address and your business card and, and your company you know a lot of money and time has been spent to position that brand um, and it has associations connotations and attachments to it which which don't belong to you but you represent and and yeah the second you walk away from that or, or you start to do something different then you know, you're starting at ground zero with building that brand up um, right from the beginning again um, and you know there's no there's no you know, free free rides in this industry. You know, it's a, it's a hard nosed industry. Um, it's you know high capital values, low margins, and it, it leads to a very savvy buyer. Um, when you get to the taller end of the market, you, you know you're dealing with procurement and um, almost soulless people that just want to take your money and, um, uh, and and discount your product without you know perceiving any of the value. So it's uh, yeah, that that brand. Um, 
don't realize the value in that brand until you're uh, you know trying to sell yourself on the back of your own brand Definitely. which um, needs needs some work Definitely. Credibility, credibility and visibility is everything, isn't it? And I think uh, it takes time. What I've realised is you, you can't rush it either. It takes time to establish it. Um, we're, we're sort of three years into the journey now and only now are people starting to understand what we do, I suppose, in, in the broader network. And, and even even then, you know, there's people that I'll have dealt with regularly when I was at Volvo who still have no idea who flagship partners are, for example. It's um yeah, it's just it's just yeah. part of the course, really. So, um, okay, excellent. So, tell me a bit more about about the business, and and tell me a bit. Okay, should we start off with Vecto because I think Vecto is kind of quite important. There's something that I spoke about quite a bit when we were together at Volvo, but it's something which is I haven't really had any conversation since since leaving Volvo, and obviously it's something that's going to be uh, impacting uh, operators over time in the near future isn't it and the bigger the operator the bigger the impact at the moment is that right well vecto is one part i guess of an arsenal of tools that um the authorities the governments have to try and um lead us along the road to zero emissions from road transport um, and what vecto does in a, in a similar way to when you buy a even a house with an epc certificate or you buy a washing machine or you buy a fridge or an oven they all have these uh, labels on them, which are efficiency labels, and you get A, B, C, D, and E. Well, that's uh, really a similar principle that um, has been applied to the truck business and, 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 and transport. So uh, the manufacturers have to quote um, uh, efficiency and emissions figures for each of the components which they do. And the point of Vecto is it, it's there to try and help operators choose the most efficient drive lines from tyres, from axle ratios to engines, from cab types and air deflectors, and all the things that can impact your efficiency and your fuel consumption. Um, each of those now has a grading. Um, so the um, each time you get a quote on a truck, your salesman will be able to tell you exactly um, the Vecto score and the efficiency. And it's led to certain options, um, tyres particularly being dropped from product lines, certain tread patterns which are inefficient. Um, and, and the manufacturers themselves are actually measured um, on their carbon emissions. But, you know, as we all know, truck manufacturers don't really operate trucks. They sell trucks and, and their users use them. So it's difficult for a, a manufacturer to control, you know, the emissions from the trucks itself. So it's, it's measured on the amount of low emission trucks versus uh, conventional trucks that it sells. But it's, it's one of a number of tools that are, are out there at the moment. And most of these tools today are, um, they're sort of top down. They're from the government. Um, so we've got carbon reporting. We've got Vecto. Um, we've got sort of big climate targets. Um, and, and manufacturers uh, face fairly heavy fines for not selling um, uh, uh, green vehicles, essentially, which is why we see lots of headlines, lots of press releases about the future and electric and hydrogen and all those things, which are, you know, possibly going to be great technologies in our industry but i think the, the willingness and the desire for manufacturers to put out information to try and you know claim their part of the future does lead operators to think you know some of this technology is just around the corner where i think the reality it, it takes much much longer than, than we all imagine um to, to develop the infrastructure, to develop the working practices, to develop the vehicles, to develop the options and the ancillaries and the bodywork and all of the things that go with you know, transport infrastructure. It's, it's more than just a truck, obviously. So 
you know, the, the reason why all those headlines are out there is because, you know, the manufacturers are, sh- are scared, I'm, I'm sorry to say, that, um, you know, new businesses are going to come and, and, and take some of this business away. We've seen Tesla semi-trucks. We've seen, you know, uh, Nicholas. Um, we've seen uh, Apple cars. So we've seen big tech, you know, producing a, a real threat to traditional manufacturers. So manufacturers are trying to secure their future, position themselves as you know the pioneers in, in hydrogen technology and electric vehicles. But um, you know, I think the harsh reality today is you know we've got choices to reduce our carbon, but they're not the ones that immediately spring to mind. It's not electric today. It's not hydrogen today. You know the, the amount of electric trucks in this country, um, sort of uh, you know heavy trucks, you can count on a couple of hands. You know, and they're you know I would just say they're development vehicles. And, and uh, obviously, there's a place for those, but you know, the average haulier is not going to get his hands on an electric truck. Certainly not a tractor unit. Probably, certainly not within five years, I would say. And hydrogen, you could you could double that time frame. You know, there's a hell of a lot of uh, financial and technical barriers before those technologies become a reality and and, and replace the bulk of the internal combustion engines that we use today. Um, so I think. You know, the future is, is uncertain. Um, what, what we do know is we have to reduce carbon. We have to reduce our impact you know, on the planet of transport. Um, and often, I think, if you read the press, you can see technology A versus technology B. And everyone likes to present these things as a winner takes all. But the reality is it's going to be, you know, there, there is nothing as flexible, as energy dense, uh, portable, easy to use as diesel um, in the future. So, you know, we are going to see application-specific fuel. We're going to see one application in one area using one solution and a a similar application just because of geography using a different solution or two different industry types. Um, So that it will be horses for courses, really. It will be application-specific fuel and technology depends on how close you are to the electric grid and how far you're going, what your daily radius is, what you're carrying. and also what area your business is in, because there are opportunities within um, the decarbonisation sort of arena to, to make more circular economies, especially in agricultural areas and things like that. So you know, a lot of customers in the agricultural business are producing energy, which at the moment, some of it's going to heat, some of it's going to power, um, and some of it's going um, to transport. So, you know, there are those circular economy opportunities in certain businesses and industries as well. Um, and as long as we don't start thinking one size is going to, you know, fit all, um, and, and looking, you know, what the solutions for our industry are, then you know that's that's really the way it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see, I see regularly the debates on um, on various social media channels around what the next fuel is going to be, and it's quite interesting to see or to hit you reiterate the point of view, which is that it's going to be a horses for courses type of uh, scenario where there's going to be various alternative fuels potentially and and each will have their merits dependent on the operation of the business yeah yeah absolutely a versus b reads well in the press doesn't it it's uh you know we, we like a bit of competition um we like our you know to support our own teams and our own brands and, and that's part of why i started um low carbon truck consultancy was to provide independent advice you know i've worked for manufacturers i've I've seen different technologies. I've trialed different technologies. I know what's in development in the future. I know how long it t- takes to 
to develop a product and bring it to market. And um, I wanted to help operators understand that landscape and give them an independent point of view because, you know, we've both been salesmen. You, you know, you tell the truth and you, you like to think so. You don't always tell the whole truth, though, do you? Um, and obviously, you know, you, you get a commission based on selling a brand and selling a product and, and that's what pays your wages. So, you know, it's um, very difficult to be impartial as a salesman. <laughs> I think I think I think you make an absolutely vital point as we sort of move on move on to the next bit, which is essentially talking about your the the because I think it's an awesome offer that you've got, and I think there should be operators out there jumping hand over fist to speak to you about it. But any any operators, anyone operating vehicles that are listening, we know you're savvy buyers, but just to sort of reiterate that, um, you know that that salesman for one of the manufacturers has probably given you some BS to help sell their product <laughs> because that's what they're getting paid to do. Whereas the benefit, yeah. of, uh, the benefit of what you're offering is essentially impartiality, isn't it? So you can you're able to educate an operator on reducing uh, reducing their carbon and what different solutions are out there, but also help to calculate what may be the may be the best solution for them. Is that is that the sort of right idea there, Darren? Uh, absolutely. You know, decarbonisation is a is a journey. You know, it starts with um, understanding where you're starting from, which is you know a, a good place to. To understand when you're going on a journey um so you know always the first part of decarbonization is to measure where you are today uh, measure your, your fuel consumption um your annual fuel bills it's quite easy to work out your current um carbon emissions you just look at how much you've spent on fuel uh, work out what that is in liters um, and multiply it by the relevant factors for that fuel and each fuel has got a uh, an emission factor of how much carbon it puts out and all that information is published by the government each year so Calculating your current position is always the first thing to do. Um, then once you've got uh, your, your, your existing carbon footprint established, um, the next thing to look at is efficiency. Um, any, any changes you can make in efficiency of your operation translate into, into new technology, and they also translate into, into bottom line uh, profit for your business. So efficiency is always... Uh, the next step, before we even talk about which fuels are going to work, which technologies are going to work, um, making sure your drivers uh, are effectively trained and engaged with the business. I always think you know, engaging your, your drivers with the decision-making process in the business really helps them um, with retention and being part of the journey. And I think that's important, but making sure your tyre pressures are correct, making sure your maintenance is proper. Uh, your best practice, looking at your routes, your loading, um, all of your ancillaries, your PTOs, your fork trucks, your fridges, everything across your operation that you do, you know, air management, have you got the right engine? You know, a lot of people like to treat their drivers and, and to um, uh, focus on driver retention by treating their drivers to 500 horsepower instead of 460. Well, I, I would suggest, you know, getting the fridge and a coffee machine and a, you know, a nice uniform rather than giving more horses than he needs to do the job because all these things will impact on your fuel consumption. Um, and Vector, again, is part of that. It's part of, um, you know, improving your efficiency because it gives you the knowledge you need to make sure the vehicles you're buying are the most efficient. So, you know, those are the things you do before you even start looking at technology and routes uh, and, and, you know, which, which way you're going to reduce your emissions. So reducing um, current emissions through efficiency changes is step number one, because, you know, as I said before, any, any efficiency you can save on a diesel platform 
translates to savings on hydrogen, on biofuel, on whatever it is you're going to go to as well. So that's the next step. Um, and then really the key um, part of it is, is, is evaluation of the technology that's out there. Um, you know, we all like to talk about the future, which is hydrogen and electric. But uh, today, if you want to reduce carbon, you've got um, only a real couple of options. You've got alternative fuels, biodiesels, HVO is, is the current favourite um, and, and probably the least impactful on your business in terms of operation, um, how you handle it, how you operate your vehicles. HVO is a, is a drop-in fuel and you can um, use that in, in the trucks that you have today um, and, and get over an 80% carbon reduction from your emissions. Downside of HVO is it costs more than diesel, which, you know, as we said before, a low margin, high capital value business, no one wants, you know, costs going up, everyone wants costs coming down. So, you know, if, if you're an own account operator, maybe HVO is the way to go because haulage is a small element built into the cost of your end product. You could maybe take a 15, 20% increase in fuel costs and only translate that to one or 2% increase in your end product yeah if you're selling transport that is your end product a 20 percent increase in your fuel cost is almost a 20 percent increase in your selling price of transport so it again you know those kinds of fuels work in different ways for different people so that's the, the simplest and easiest is, is is decarbonizing your fuel rather than your vehicle um so a good a good example of that so just sort of putting that in the real world a good example of that might be like a I don't know, a, a builder's merchant who deliver their building products, for example. They maybe run one or two delivery vehicles. Something like that might be a good solution for them. Absolutely, because yeah. it's no special training. The only the, the, the thing with HVO is you need to bunker it on site. You can't buy it on forecourt. So you do need a, an on-site storage facility. But those things are you know, relatively uh, simple to establish and set up. So, yeah, when you've got fleets which are spread out across the country hvo can sometimes be a good opportunity um the next set of technologies really you're looking at today is is gas vehicles um cng lng bio lng or bio cng or biomethane um a number of different ways of referring to it but gas vehicles um are available for not all the manufacturers but certainly three of them uh, there are different technologies out there. There are spark ignition vehicles. There are compression ignition vehicles, each with their pros and cons. Um, a spark ignition vehicle, arguably running on CNG, is easier to refuel. Um, but you don't necessarily get the range with CNG because it's not as dense as LNG, and it's certainly not as dense as diesel. Um, there's LNG products out there. Um, often... Um, you can get obviously more range with LNG because it's more dense, um, so it's more suitable for, for longer range applications. Um, and again, the spark ignition technology out there um, works like a, a petrol car. So petrol cars are less efficient than diesel cars. Um, they have more power, but they have less torque. Um, so there are some, uh, some, some trade-offs if you go for a, a spark ignition gas vehicle. Um, okay. And it can be LNG and CNG, and that doesn't really impact the efficiency. That just affects the, the fueling process and the range of the vehicle. But you will suffer a, a, an efficiency loss. Um, and at 35, 36, 38 tonne, that's not such a big impact. And as you move up towards 40 tonnes and certainly 44, that can be quite a hit and you can lose 
maybe 25% efficiency in, in some cases. So you actually need 25% more fuel to do the same, the same work as you did with diesel. So uh, once we get up to that end of the market, then the, uh, the compression ignition solutions tend to be a bit better because they, they lose less efficiency. Now, the downside there is that technology costs a bit more. And the compression ignition, um, gas doesn't ignite under, under pressure, um, so that those technologies need a small amount of diesel to ignite the gas. So you're running on a 10% diesel and 90% um, LNG mix. But what you get there is a truck which is within a couple of percent as efficient as your diesel truck, so you don't need any more fuel. Um, and you get um, the full torque of a diesel truck as well, which with a spark ignition, you tend to lose some torque. So, you know, if you've got a, a, an intense operation doing big mileage or doing heavy weight, if you've got double deck trailers, for example, or if you're in a hilly area, all those things can have an impact on the efficiency of um, some of these solutions. So gas is um, has some complexities with it, but the, the, big, um, the big attraction, obviously massively reduced CO2 if you're using biomethane um, and reduce cost because the government have put a fuel duty incentive onto biomethane and, and at the moment natural gas. But there is discussion about that coming away because natural gas itself will only save you between 10 and 20 percent CO2, which is, is OK. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a positive saving. But when we get to biomethane um, and biogas, you know, those savings are again plus 80 percent depending on a number of different factors but that's you know big big carbon savings when we use biomethane um so there's a 50 percent reduction in fuel duty on gas compared to diesel so you know you pay a lot less per what you actually buy in kilograms not in liters which is a which is another part of the um uh, part of the fun really you know you've got two <laughs> all, part, all part of the fun calculations you've got uh <laughs> yeah your fuel is, is is a different type of fuel it's in a different medium you don't buy it in a different unit so the maths can get really exciting really quickly and um, sometimes it blows people's minds so um a big part of my business is 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 helping operators calculate the total cost of ownership the return on investment um, and, and I've built a calculator now, which you can put in different makes of vehicles, different technologies of vehicles, different fuels. You put in your fuel cost, your ad cost, your mileage, all of these things. And it, it, it um, includes the additional maintenance costs, which some of these trucks have, um, and it includes all costs and, and works out the total cost of ownership, return on investment, cash flow, and obviously fuel consumption, fuel cost, and, and importantly, CO2 emissions. So that, for me, is a big or USP of my business. You know, all of the sales people out there will have access to their uh, brand calculator, but will only calculate their technology. Um, mm -hmm. And how good the sales people are using that will depend on how much practice they've had. So I was involved in developing developing the calculator for Volvo, um, which took a long time because you know the Swedish um, they sent the calculator over and it was in liters per hundred kilometers and, and it was all in um, metric units. Um, I sent it back and said, no, we work, in, we work in miles per gallon in the UK. So then they sent it back, assuming we measured our distance in miles. So it took nine versions before they understood that we, we bought our fuel in liters. We measured our distance in kilometers, yet we measured our fuel consumption in miles per gallon. And we bought our AdBlue in metric and 
they scratched their head um, and, and did what I asked eventually. But it's, um, <laughs> it, is, it, it, it does make me chuckle because only, only last week, one of my team members, I asked them to do a calculation, like a fuel consumption calculation. I was like, yeah, distance is measured in kilometres, but fuel's measured in miles per gallon. <laughs> and literally it just blew their brains it, we, yeah. we had we had three or four iterations before that happened and i'm not this is a very intelligent person just outside of the transport sector it is very interesting how we approach these calculations in the sector <laughs> and it, it is it makes me laugh and people ask me you know well, how many miles per kilogram does it do and we're mixing imperial and, and metric units together to make new combined units which no one's ever invented before and um yeah, the ways in which people measure fuel consumption of gas vehicles gets very interesting. Um, and as I say, you know, we're converting from, from metric to imperial on the fuel and back and forth on the distance as well. Um, and, you know, you know, you can lose a little bit in translation if you use a slightly different number of decimal places to me. And, you know, there, you know what you don't want in a sales discussion is, is to spend half the meeting debating whose numbers are correct, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so many meetings, you know, the, the debate is not what we're going to do with these numbers is my number's not the same as your number. And, and you know, you, you get these, where did you get yours from? Where did I get mine from? You spend all of your time trying to understand the maths mm-hmm. and then the meeting finishes and you say, oh yeah, what were we going to do? Um, and it's, it's so uh, yeah, that's a big part of my offer is, is helping people understand the costs um, uh, and, and what the expected performance of each of these trucks could be and also yeah. you know from an operational point of view what are the constraints you know they are different to fuel um you don't buy the fuel in the same place there is less options for fueling so you know different things need to be understood within your business your transport office needs to you know route plan differently with the gas vehicle and things like that so you know the operational things um you know, best practice, how to handle it, you know, and, and you talk about gas and it's it's alien to people. And I've I've been into uh, transport yards before and I've seen drivers huddled around YouTube videos watching LPG vehicles explode and, and they're going to say, is this what's good? No, and I said, that's LPG, this is LN, you know. But, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty um, uh, around the fuel and, and the storage. I think, I think, I think that what, what bothers me most and where I see the real value in what we're what we're discussing here is that it's one thing. So at the, at the moment, at the moment, uh, a salesperson could do a really great job of selling an operator an incorrect vehicle right now that's diesel. Right. And the issue is, is they've maybe invested in the wrong vehicle. It's maybe not got the fuel consumption they hope for. And maybe the dealer's not giving them the support they need, but it's not going to kill their business. No. And they can yeah. find another home for it if it's really and, and, Exactly, and they can <laughs> sell it on. But and I think I think the, the the challenge now, particularly, maybe not so much with the bigger operators who are able to dip their toe in the water and be able to demonstrate these vehicles over a period of time, because the manufacturers are jumping over themselves to be able yeah. to demo their vehicles with the uh, Eddie Stobarts, the DHLs, the um, you know the really really big operators like maritime for example or whoever it may be and i'm not i'm not knocking those companies at all because that, that's fantastic but for the mm-hmm. the family-owned operator that's the backbone of the transport industry which is you know the people that i like to try and help there's a potential that a, that a, that a manufacturer salesperson is able to go and do a really great job and actually they could really cripple a business by selling them the wrong product and, and dance off into the sunset with their commission I'm not saying that all salespeople would be like that, but there is that potential, right? It's about the living with the product moving forward. 
Absolutely, you know, and, and as you rightly say there, you know, the, the, there's people in the big fleets that, you know, are, are right into this, you know, they're on all the committees, they're part of Low Carbon Vehicle Partnership or Zemo as they're called, they go to all the shows, they get access to the demos, as you correctly say, and, you know, they, they can become real experts in the field, you know, and there, there's some pretty smart people in those organisations. Um, and I'm not saying there's not smart people in the small organisations, but, you know, many small organisations, everyone has two or three hats to wear. Um, and it's, it's a full-time job researching sustainability. And, and, you know, you can imagine you can, you can spend your whole day going to you know, launches and meetings and discussions and debates and, and try and learn what is correct. Um, and you can waste an awful lot of time. So, you know, my, my service really is to, is to guide people through that with, without, you know, fearing that you're going to be stuck with stranded assets or spend your money on the wrong thing or be sold a solution which is not right for you but is right for the salesman. Um, so that's, you know, that's um, where my speciality comes in. And also in deploying this stuff on the ground, you know, it's really important that we get drivers engaged, that they understand why we're doing it, that we get customers engaged and stakeholders across the business. Um, you know, the, these, these transitions are, are difficult um, and they're difficult in an industry which is, you know, service level is, is, is sacrosanct to these people. You know, no one is prepared to jeopardise service levels, saving the planet, saving money or anything. You know, if you lose a contract, all that stuff becomes irrelevant. You know, that's your business gone. So no one will ever want to jeopardise uh, a contract for, for sustainability or for, for even for saving money because it's counter, counterproductive, isn't it? So. Um, yeah, people need to help and support and advice, okay. and, and that's what we're set up to I, give them. I guess the next question is 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 clearly defining who who that customer could be. So, I think um, where I've, I've mentioned some of the bigger names that are people that are potentially have got full time people in their businesses looking at sustainability and, and and becoming experts in in the in the sort of small to medium family operator business where this sort of our conversation so far has literally just blown their brains um, mm -hmm. and they, they, they don't see how that fits in. What would you suggest? How many, how many new vehicles a year does an operator need to be buying before this is starting to come on their agenda? Would you say like what size would their fleet be? Um, <coughs> you know, and, 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 and what, and what, how many vehicles a year, I suppose is the right, I hope that's the right question. I might not be asking the right question there, but I hope you understand what I mean. Well, I think so. And it, the impetus to do something can come from a number of different places. One, your own conscience. You, you see what's happening to the world and, and the human impact on, on the climate. And, and you can say to yourself, well, I, you know, I've been running diesel vehicles and I'm a polluter. I want to do something about it. Um, so that's, that's one route. Um, and you can approach the market and see what options are available to you. Um, if you're a, a big company, if you're a listed company, if you have a high turnover, then you're obliged to report your carbon emissions. Um, so there are uh, certain companies coming into, into, into scope there for reporting carbon emissions. Um, there's also pressure from customers. You know, many big brands these days, we see every day on the news, such and such a company is committed to be net zero by 2030, 2040, 2050, whenever it is. Um, and it could be that, you know, whilst you may not, come under the scope of uh, carbon reporting, your customers might do. Um, and carbon reporting is done in 
um, what we call scope. So there's scope one is your own emissions. There's scope two, which is your own energy use. And there's this massive area called scope three, and that's any emissions that are caused because of activities of your business and their third party emissions. So if you're hauling um, even a small amount of goods for a big brand, you are part of that big brand's scope three emissions. So, you know, any day, you know, you could get that call, that knock on your door. What are, what are your emissions? Because we need to report them as part of our corporate social responsibility uh, and our legal requirements. Um, so people are, are getting spoken to all the time now to say, you know, what are your emissions um, and what are you doing to fix them? And, and the other source is um, FORS, people that are going for um, the high levels of, of FORS accreditation. Again, part of that is, you, you know, you need to investigate the options to make your business sustainable. And you need to understand what those options are. Um, and you need to be, you know, working on a plan to, to decarbonize your business. So there's a number of different drivers and, and sources um, that, that may make you want to look into sustainability, whether it's, you know, personal or, or, or business related or, or, you know, for any other reason. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, as time goes on, no one is going to escape from this. You know, carbon, we all know, is, is a cost. You know, we don't have an, a, an over carbon tax at the moment. Um, I, I don't think that will be true in 2040. I don't think it'll be true in 2050. Today, we don't have a, a direct carbon tax. We will pay for carbon in one way or another. Many businesses have internal costs for carbon, um, and many taxes uh, are based on around carbon and emission but we don't have a you know just a pure carbon tax and many people argue until we get that you know actual end users and polluters aren't going to take responsibility for their own emissions but um it's coming and it's coming from lots of different angles um at the moment as i said before a lot of this is bottom down but um you know once it starts getting into into top up and you know we're reporting to the government what we're doing um it, it, it's uh, it's going to be a big um, going to be a big part of business going forward. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so um, uh, you've clarified that really nicely, mate. Um, I, I think I think the one question I've got then that you, just to sort of probe you on that: what size fleet are we looking at? What sort? Where where do we start thinking about that? Or if you're an operator, where none of those things are happening, but actually it it do me good to have a chat with Darren and and get uh, a better understanding of what my options are going to be over the next. 5, 10, 15, 20 years um, as I'm looking to sort of plan the future of my business? I, I don't think there's any any size of fleet, Peter. I really, I really don't. You know, even if you're just using one vehicle, you know, if you're a scaffolding firm that runs one truck, if you have a, 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 a family that you're concerned about their future, if you're concerned about what's going on um, around us, then you can take it on yourself personally to, to look at how you can reduce your carbon emissions. Awesome. And, as I said before, it's not all about investing in brand new technology and, and big infrastructure. You know, you could you could look at your um, operation and improve, you know, a ten percent improvement in efficiency, um, or you know, ten percent improvement in fuel consumption is a ten percent reduction in carbon, and that's worth something. One truck, one person, one individual. You know, and we all have to look at everything we do to try and minimise the impact. That, that we're having as individuals. And, and I think until everyone is in this mindset of, you know, not just doing it because we're told or doing it because we're asked or expected to, you know, just have a think uh, 
and and you know everything you do it has an impact somewhere um and it it, it doesn't take a great deal of cost or anything like that just to do a few things better and it's small improvements and if you if you wanted to take the next step and say well i want to you know make a significant reduction in my carbon you can look at different fuels and that works on one vehicle okay yeah gas vehicles you need a again it depends where you are if you're if you want your own station and a back to base station um with a gas vehicle then you're looking at 10 plus vehicles um or uh, you know five growing to 10 or 10 growing to 20. um but if you're um fairly near some public infrastructure or another operator slightly bigger operator that's got some infrastructure then one truck is viable if you're if you're absolutely you know if, if there's a gas station on your route then you can go with one vehicle you know because there's no infrastructure required for that yeah awesome, the, the awesome. Infra, just to just touch on that again the infrastructure um is growing but a lot of it is is back to base big fleets so they, they want the infrastructure on their site just like they would have you know diesel on their site as well so they're they're self-contained um but there's some providers out there focusing on on back to base units um secure individual storage for big fleets and there's other providers out there looking at public infrastructure public access refueling and you've got that on on lng you've got it on cng um so again, it depends who you are, where you are, what you're doing. Um, and these are, you know, this is what, again, I'm trying to help people with, you know, I'm sort of stuck out here operating on my own with a couple of trucks, um, no one's around me, what do I do? Um, so it, it's, it, you know, it's also about understanding, you know, if three or four small operators in one region all wanted to go gas at the same time, then people are queuing up to put the infrastructure in, you know, a station can't survive on just a couple of vehicles. It needs, you know, 20 vehicles really in the longer term. But that can be built up slowly over yeah. a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think here endeth my questions, mate. Have I um have I got uh, have I missed anything? Is there anything we've not covered? Um and uh yeah, is there is what what have I not asked? What have you not I should asked? have asked? <laughs> no, no, I think I think your questions have been um yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty specific. I think um, pretty specific. Well, it's it's a it's a big I'm, subject. I'm honing so. my interviewing skills, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a big subject, and there's you know a, a million different things involved with transport, yeah. and and I could you know happily talk about this all day long, and sometimes I, I get told uh, not to. Um, but no, those are the you know, those are the basic steps. It's, yeah. it's where am I today? Where do I want to go? What can I improve with what I've got? What next step do I need to take to make a big saving? How can I engage my customers, my business, my stakeholders, my employees in that process? Um, how can we roll it out without impacting our service levels and our performance? And then the, the, the final step is once you've done this, how can I capitalize? And how can I get new business? How can I advertise? How can I <coughs> use my, you know, my uh, image and improve my public relations and, and all those things? And there are there are you know, business opportunities out there for people that are you know prepared to take these steps um you know you get yourself some good press coverage you get yourself some some good customer engagement and you can go out looking for customers you know if you see a brand or in, in, in on, on tv or in a magazine that's making a carbon commitment then you can approach those people and say you know we're providing zero carbon or reduced carbon 
transport services and then you know that's a it's another it's another string to your bow as a as a transport provider selling transport services yeah i think i think you make some fantastic points so mate i really do uh, and 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 the other thing is those listening if if you've got any questions you can always drop me a message and we can have darren back on for a for a, a follow-up a sequel episode and, <laughs> and answer any any questions you may have or you can get in touch with him direct um just don't go on LinkedIn because he hates it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a LinkedIn virgin, but so I'm getting um, getting into it. <laughs> good man, good man. Sold your soul to the devil, like the rest yeah. of us. Um, yeah. Baron, just just quickly then, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? Where, where should they uh, get in touch with you? Have you got an email address or what's the company called again? I am on LinkedIn. My company is Low Carbon Truck Consultancy, but my website is www.lowcarbontruck.co.uk. So all one word, lowcarbontruck.co.uk, and you should find me there. Yeah. Top man, Darren. Thank you very much. And I hope everyone's really enjoyed this session and uh, catch you all soon. Take care. I really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels we hope to reach more and help more people if you want to find out more about me my name's pete rushmer you'll find me across any social media channel and my business flagship partners and we're your partners in success across your business thank you see you again soon